time to talk training, fitness, and health on the Weight Endurance Podcast. We're not doctors, dietitians, or physiologists. We're professional coaches, and your hosts, Cody and Kathy Waite. We've worked with hundreds of endurance athletes over the last 15 years through our training facility, plans, and programs. Within this podcast, we're sharing our own training and racing experiences, along with the knowledge gained from working with our athletes. We'll be shedding light on the training methodologies that we've found to be the most successful in making you a fitter and faster cyclist. All right, welcome back, listeners. I'm Cody. I'm Kathy. And you are listening to episode number 54 of the Weight Endurance Podcast. And today we are going to speak about one of our favorite topics. We talk about it a lot, aerobic training, (laughs) more specifically aerobic threshold training, and just some insights Mm -hmm. we've gathered and been speaking about um, with the training that we've been, we've personally been doing, but also we've got our, we development junior team riders going we've got our base builder program going we've we're been onboarding some new local teams onto some training programs and so we've just been getting a lot of good questions and feedback from people and um it is pert- pertinent to what we're doing oh good word yes very <laughs> pertinent it's really interesting to talk about um to us you and sophie and i were rolling and stretching the other night and we spent about 20 minutes just talking about aerobic threshold work <laughs> Yeah. That's probably not what most families talk about at nighttime, but <laughs> probably not. we found it interesting. Absolutely. Um, but before we dig into that, we'll start with our, you know, what have we been up to segment. <laughs> we love talking about ourselves, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cody, wait, what have you been up to? Um, I feel like I've said this the last several times, but just feeling very busy getting the new season, the 2021 season rolling and all our programs of the juniors and the adults and everything. Um, compiling with coming, our last podcast, we were on the road in Arizona training, uh, and coming back from that, which was a pretty high volume couple of weeks. We wrote a lot. Well, especially for you and Sophia, because you did the full three week training block. I only did two weeks before I came home. Right. So you and Soph stayed and did one more pretty hardy week. And then you were extra exhausted from just driving the RV home. And then drive, yeah. So that thing is a beast. Tons of drive, tons of training, tons of driving. It was exhausted, and then coming back, thankfully to a recovery week, but mm-hmm. had a pile of work <laughs> to do getting home, and then finally getting on top of all of that, which is great. Um, but just uh, just busy in general, you know, yeah. and not tons of training as of this last week. But well, you're getting back into it. But um, yeah, it, thankfully it was sunny again. I feel like we often talk about either we're whining because it's cold and cloudy or we're grateful and thrilled that it's sunny, but we are... <laughs> Our moods are weather dependent. <laughs> yeah, we are fickle, <laughs> fickle people, I guess. But yeah, I I just kind of don't like the winter and I, I know I'm not alone. Yeah. Well, and we were fortunate enough to get away to a warm summer-like environment for a couple of weeks, three weeks in my yeah. case. and. Then it was hard to come home to Denver because it was quite cold. It's finally warming up a little bit, but it was quite cold. So it's sort of a shock, right, to the system. It is. Um, And, you know, now being home now through December, and then we have another trip planned to Arizona um, for our We Devo or We Race Team training camp um, closer to New Year's. But we'll be home for this five weeks or so and altering. The training program, like for you and me, um, we're reducing the volume significantly, focusing specifically on the aerobic threshold 
intervals, which is what we'll talk about today, and then also more of the strength training. Like I'm, I think you're doing something similar. I am. But yeah, I'm on board. I'm going three days a week on strength training and getting to a pretty heavy weightlifting regime because the last month was rather lightweight and more like mobility focused. And I feel like adding in some heavy, you know, lift heavy things kind of concept is good for the aging athlete, such as myself. And it uh, complements well with the lower volume of aerobic threshold work. Exactly. So it just seemed to make sense this month. Right. Because when you lift heavy weights, you can't really ride much because your legs just don't feel very good. <laughs> they're not necessarily sore, but they're just like dead. They feel like pieces of wood, I guess. So three, four days a week of riding, three days a week of heavy weightlifting is kind of what I've been up to and plan to be up to for the next couple of weeks at least. So, How about you? Well, I got back from Arizona and had a week with just Noel here at the house and got caught up in a lot of things. And then the next week was Thanksgiving week, and I actually had intended to train, um, like kind of like get back into it. And then, wouldn't you know it, I pulled my hip flexor playing pickleball. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, number one, I feel like I have to, I feel a little defensive of my precious pickleball, and I'm going to blame the scooter and not pickleball because I couldn't park the scooter very well, and I sort of tweak something so don't you dare point my your finger at the pickleball well you said pickleball <laughs> i know i'm just messing with you <laughs> and then um it really wasn't that bad so i just took a few days um easy i could lift weights i could go for walks and then um thankfully i was able to get back into the the bike riding um and it's been going well i was very brave on tuesday at um, the encouragement from one of our base builder athletes kia shout out to kia for being a very hardy um, cold weather athlete. And I thought if she can do it, maybe I can do it. Um, I can't say that I loved it though. <laughs> yeah, that was a cold, it <laughs> oh was my like gosh, it was 35 so cold. degrees is a high. And, and you were lucky cause you started about an hour and a half before I did. I got it a little earlier. Yep. And it seemed, it actually got colder as the day went on. God, than you were the lucky one. Yeah. For me, it wasn't, it was shockingly not as bad as I thought. I bundled up, dressed appropriately, and it just kind of worked there, you know, and, and then I think you getting out that hour and a half, two hours after me, oh, you was, got out when it was still decent. And it was I think gorgeous the weather, at first. I was like, down. oh, I'm so excited. Kia's right. This is great. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm on my six of eight intervals I'm going to do. And I noticed it was getting pretty cold. I'm like, oh dear, it's getting cold. And then on the seventh one, it was getting colder. On the eighth one, I actually had snowflakes falling on me. Mm. And then I knew I was in trouble, and it was, yeah, I basically limped home. I was freezing and feeling a little panicky inside. I thought I would look for a car that could take me home, but <laughs> I made it I made it home, hopped in the shower, warmed up, and, you know, I'll keep whining about it. But, um, yeah, it's been going good. I have no complaints this week. Good. That's great. Yeah. Uh, what else have we been up to? We, well, we just launched our We Devo program. So we have our We Race that's our um, – not necessarily older, but slightly older riders, um, more advanced, I suppose, more years of training under their belt and targeting some bigger races that we've have had going training for a few months now. And then the We Devo program is designed for a little wider range um, of riders and kind of maybe a slightly newer, if not completely new to like the real structured organized training. The, at least the year round structured organized the year, training. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, 
And these kids are great. I mean, they're like oh, I love them. 14 to 17, I think, uh, might be the oldest. And um, it's been really fun to start getting them. Maybe they've had heart rate monitors mm-hmm. or they've ridden on smart trainers and, and things before. And but, they've all raced a little bit. And they've all raced some. and But maybe they didn't really know why they were mm-hmm. using a heart rate monitor or, or understanding like how to really use it. Or same with the power on the smart trainers and things like that. So really like opening these doors mm-hmm. of understanding this more has been pretty fun. Um, I think one of the big differences is that most of them didn't know what to do from like just November through March when it was cold and nasty and the thought of riding on their trainer like maybe a mom or dad did wasn't that exciting. Right. But now they're going to have structure and they're going to have accountability and yeah, just be motivated to to stick with it and to get stronger and faster. Yeah, through the and I the and I'll say this too, like not to be we last year we called our our only junior team the, the We Devo team, right. and just to distinguish that now that team is called the We Race team, and we have like kind of like a lower tier, like a feeder team coming in, and we're calling that the We Devo team. Right, it's a little bit confusing. Even I stumble over it, but We Devo, We Race, it's all part of the greater We development nonprofit um organization that we started a little over a year ago um and yeah it's blossoming and it's been really fun and and rewarding so getting them going uh has been good it's been really good yeah and then also been busy with our 2021 kit designs um our kit store with cure is opening possibly as we speak as we record here on the podcast uh, but it will be open extremely soon here. Um, so any of you listeners that are interested in picking up a training kit, um, you know, with the Wii branding on it, it will be available. We have a lot of really cool cold weather pieces, um, which we'll actually sort of talk about here in a second. Um, and then, uh, you know, along with the basic bibs and jerseys and uh, um, men's and women's stuff and um, all of that profit that may or may not come from this will go funnel right into the we devo nonprofit team so um <clears throat> and we'll have a, a discount we can offer to our podcast listeners i don't know what the code is yet because the store actually hasn't been open yet um but as soon as i have it I'll, I'll put it in the show notes um and then we'll talk about it in the next episode as well and we'll post some stuff on social media yeah perfect yeah we had so. hoped to get the store open right before thanksgiving and kind of have like a black friday sale but it just didn't work out but we're still going to offer that discount code to people who are listening and training with us yes um so yeah i mean kits and cold and how to ride in the cold you thought why, why not talk yeah about i it? thought we'd just go over some okay. quick tips of training in colder weather and a lot of that is personal. Um, my buddy Darren has found a little kind of chart online that he references that says, you know, if it's 40 degrees and sunny, wear this. If it's 25 degrees and cloudy, wear it. Well, they just stay home for God's sakes. <laughs> you know, so it has a nice chart. But even that's probably very personal because yeah. you and I dress a little bit differently on the same day at the same time. Mm-hmm. But... All that to say, um, layers, 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 layers. I think that is the key to cold weather riding outdoors um, because it, you could, if you're out there for three hours, the weather could change dramatically, either getting warmer or in my case on Tuesday, it could actually get colder. So if you have layer layering options, you can like peel off things and add things as you're riding. And some of those items might be 
like a head covering. You can have um, just like a, an ear warmer that would be less um, cold protection than like a full, um, you don't call it a hat. What do you call it? Like a skull cap? Yeah. Yep. That would fit under your helmet. Yeah, like, like a, a skull cap. Right. And I have noticed that you've gone out for rides lately with a skull cap on that has a little sun visor on it. Well, I have like a cycling cap that's for the winter that goes over your ears mm-hmm. as well. But it has like a little bill, I guess you call it, a little yeah. brim thing. Is it because the – because I don't think you wear that in the summer, like any kind of brim or visor. Is it just because like the winter sun is lower and it, it the sun bothers you in your eyes? It's possible. I mean, it's pretty tiny. The cycling little bills don't – they're not very big. They're not, but I, actually yesterday I was thinking that I wish I would have grabbed that one because the sun – the position in the sky, like the sun was right in my eyeballs and didn't really love that. So anyway, those are some options like of, of either a full skull cap or just like an ear warmer. Um, you can have knee warmers or leg warmers. I'm kind of weird. Like a lot of times I don't like to wear leg, leg warmers. I'll wear knee warmers, but then have wool socks on. And I just have like a few inches of skin showing because mm-hmm. it's, you know, really sexy. No, that's <laughs> not why. I, I don't like the feeling of leg warmers for some reason. I feel sort of trapped in them. And see, I love leg warmers. I'll grab leg warmers. 90% I know it's sort of like this weird I, I, I realize I sort of have like these like OCD things well I already knew this about myself where I can feel kind of um trapped in my clothes and so I I, I like to have the like the brisk air touching my calves for some reason because mm. it makes me feel like I'm breathing yeah, some breathing <laughs> so weird trip. so um there's that okay then there's base layers and there's a lot of different options of base layers that we have in our closets we have Thin ones that are sleeveless. We have short sleeve ones that are a little hardier and like a thick, heavy, long sleeve. And so you kind of have to decide for yourself what, which one would work for the weather it is that day. Right. Yep. And then you have different kinds of thermal pieces. Hopefully people have that um, in their closets. If not, we will have some pieces like that in our store. And I love having some thermal pieces like the shorts with just like a little extra lining and then as well like a, a heavier um, like fleece line jersey yeah so in our kit store we're gonna have um some three really cool thermal pieces um one is thermal bib shorts and these are Love them. men's and women's and they're basically like any other cycling bib short with the addition of like a micro fleece interior so the part touching your skin on the inside is like this soft fleece um soft fleece i guess <laughs> i don't know how else to describe it <laughs> And it's not particularly thick, but it's shocking how much warmer it does keep you. And it, it really keeps does. like all of your legs. So so like a typical knee warmer or leg warmer, you know, goes up kind of like above, you know, mid thigh or a little above mid thigh. And then your shorts go over the top of it. This, if you have your shorts, then it's like you're continuing that warmth through like the whole hip region, the crotch region, the butt region, you know, your whole midsection there is lined in fleece so that little bit of loft that the fleece gives you traps air in there that gets warm from your body heat and keeps you warmer and more comfortable and i I mean i love it i'll wear those down even when it's like 50 degrees out yeah Um, me too it's quite comfortable so it's it's not like you get overly hot in them because they're extremely breathable Mm -hmm. um because it is just a spandex lycra material um so it's great. I mean, I'll ride in those, like I said, from, you know, temperatures in the 50s down if I'm riding still, like I'll leave on Saturday mornings for the group ride and sometimes it's 20 degrees out and I'll start with that and it, you know, they're great. 
combined with either a leg warmer or or a knee warmer. Or, or on super cold days, I'll do a knee warmer and leg warmer. So I like had lay- no idea you did that. Yeah. just. Oh, my gosh. No, I didn't know that. I will not be going outside if I need triple layers. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's like 20s and 30s, I mean, it, it gets the job done for yeah, sure. Yeah, it does. Um, and then we also have uh, a thermal long sleeve jersey. Same concept as the shorts. It's just jersey material. It's long sleeve, and it has... Uh, like a fleece, light, thin fleece lining on the inside. Same concept. It just traps that body heat in there and keeps you a little bit warmer, but it's completely breathable. Um, so the wind will still kind of cut through it a little bit. So you'd want to then probably put like a vest or a jacket on top of that. Um, and then also a thermal vest is being added this year, which we haven't had in years past. But it's a really cool piece because... Sometimes you don't need a full thermal jersey and you just want to add the thermal vest to keep your core, like your torso, a little bit warmer because that's key for your circulating blood comes from your torso, um, from your heart. And and if that's warmer, it'll warm your extremities better. So the idea is you always want to keep your torso as warm as possible, hence vests and things like that. Um, so that's a great piece. Or even on top of the thermal jersey where you could have like double thermal Yeah, I did that torso. on Tuesday. Um, is really great. So we'll have those three thermal pieces. We will have a base layer in the store. Um, it's going to be a very thin, like moisture wicking base layer, not a thermal base layer, um, which is great. Honestly, it's like a three, I call it like a three season piece. Like I might not wear it on the hottest of hot days when I'm kind of kind of my Jersey more or less unzipped quite a bit and just want the least amount of clothing as possible. But even when it's like warm and you just, want to get that sweat wicked mm-hmm. off your skin, move to the outer layer so it can dry, so you don't then get cold. And so this is more pertinent, like spring, even winter too, but spring and fall is great for this. And it's also a great piece for the trainer too, yeah, as true. just what you wear on, on top. Because it's super thin, so you don't get hot, and it wicks the moisture and moves the moisture off your skin and to evaporate, so you're not also soaking wet on the trainer too. So it's a really good <laughs> piece that way and then other base layers to touch on um that won't be in the store but ones like we have and they're great just to have in your closet is like a thinner long sleeve so same concept thin wicking but it's long sleeve to give you a little bit more warmth and then like a thermal more like a patagonia base layer fleece type of thing that can add more loft um underneath and also wick some as well so when it's like super cold I'll have the thicker thermal um, base layer plus the thermal jersey (laughs) and then some sort of shell, whether it be a vest or a long sleeve shell, like a jacket, you know, and that's the layering piece that can come on and off. Right. And it is tricky to pick it perfectly. You know, I I was a little too cold on Tuesday and I was a little too warm yesterday when I went out. Right. But I guess I'd rather be a little too warm than cold because it was pretty miserable on Tuesday as I rode home. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about the base layer wicks and adds possibly a little extra insulation, then you have your thermal pieces for warmth, but they're breathable. And then you want to have that outer shell piece, whether it be vest or windbreaker jacket kind of thing that's light that you can take zip and unzip or take it completely off and stuff it in your pockets and we'll have vests and windbreaker jackets in the kit store as well um so we'll kind of have everything dialed in for everybody i'm really glad you mentioned just that that tip that if your core like your torso and your hips stay warmer uh, then your 
the rest of your body is warmer because like if if you don't really protect your torso, your core, then your your the blood from your hands and your feet are just going to flood into your torso to try to regulate your body temperature. Right, and, and aggravate. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. some people like myself just struggle to keep our toes and and fingers warm anyway. But that it would, it's much more helpful if you had your, your torso warm. Yeah. So, and then there's like tips for keeping your hands in and feet warm. Um, if you have in your like supply chest of, of items, like different toe covers, shoe covers, like a, sometimes I just put like a little toe cover on that has a little bit of like a windbreaker material on it on just those like maybe 50 to 60 degree days. Mm-hmm. But then like if I decided to go out when it's really cold, I'll have like a full wrappy thing that I put around my, like a my whole shoe. Shoe yeah. cover booty yeah. thing. Yeah. And the same with gloves. I have a lot of different options. My favorite strategy is to take just like a thin layer, a thin pair of gloves first. That would be my, maybe my only pair I ride halfway through. And then like a fuzzy pair on top that keeps me warmer. I can wipe the snot off my face. And then it's, it, quickly goes in a back pocket and easily goes in a back pocket if I get too warm. Yeah, I think the multi-glove option is, is a great idea. Yeah, that's worked well for me. Uh, just another couple tips is if you're someone that forgets to drink when you're outside when it's cold, if you, number one, drink some water before you leave the house. Like a good chug a couple glasses of water. That would be huge. Yeah, you should do that anyway, but it's well, yeah. super important in the, in the winter. Because when it's cold, you don't think to drink like you do in the summer when it's hot. You drink more, so... But I thought of another tip the other day when I saw um, like an Instagram post by Rose Grant with like she was promoting her sponsors and I thought, oh yeah, you know a good reason to put electrolytes in your water bottle in the winter is that it tastes good and it entices you to drink your water while you're outside. Mm. So good tip if you are someone who forgets to grab your water bottle but like you love the kind of the flavor of an electrolyte drink, mm-hmm. throw a tablet in there and, and you might find yourself drinking more. Okay. Um, remember to wear sunscreen, even though it's cold. Sometimes people forget to throw it on their face, but you don't want to get sunburned. You want to protect your precious skin so mm-hmm. you look younger. <laughs> and lastly is you might find that riding your mountain bike when you're all bundled up is more comfortable. You might feel more secure with the positioning of your mountain bike um, if you're all bundled up in lots of puffy layers. Mm-hmm. Um, or and also it just slows you down a little bit. Like you're not going to fly down a hill quite as fast on a mountain bike, and you, you, it'll keep you a little warmer, possibly. Yeah, that's very true. I do a lot of my winter outdoor intervals on the mountain bike on the pavement for for that reason. Mm-hmm. Well, well, one, I honestly I like doing it anyway because I race mountain bikes, so I like doing mm-hmm. some at least some of my structure work outside always on the mountain bike. Um, but yeah, when I'm wearing like super thick. All those layers, you like the Michelin Man, and then if you're wearing like thicker gloves, you know, road bike, yeah, you know, controls are a little smaller and stuff, and I just feel like more comfortable in the mountain bike position and with the mountain bike brakes and shifters and stuff with that extra bulk, um, and it does slow you down a little bit. You don't go as fast on the mountain bike, so cuts the wind speed, wind chill a little bit. So that is a good tip as well. Yeah, that's all I had. Did you have any other cold weather tips? No, I, I guess that's it. I mean, I, the biggest piece is what you said, keeping your core warm. Um, so it's, staying warm is all about blood flow. So keep your core warm, then your blood can reach, be free to go out to your extremities, your toes, your fingertips. Um, and then your hands and feet won't get as cold if you keep your core warm. Right. Because so many people think, oh, my hands are cold. I need bigger gloves. But actually maybe just adding more around your core. Mm-hmm 
you may actually not need bigger gloves. Because even when I go out on Saturdays on the group ride, I don't even wear shoe covers. I wear a nice, pretty thick pair of wool socks in, really? in my regular shoes. Because if I'm wearing enough on my core, my torso, my feet don't get cold. And I prefer my, I like my feet to be able to breathe. I don't like the sweaty effect of like shoe covers unless I really need them. Mm-hmm. But if I'm riding by myself and it's really cold, because I'm not riding quite as briskly, then I might consider the shoe covers. But at any rate, it's always about layer the core first and foremost, and you'll be shocked at how your hands and feet stay warmer. So. Well, it sounds like you figured out what works, works for you after all these years of yeah. tackling cold weather rides. Yeah. Um, and it is different than my strategy sometime, but hopefully we've given some tips that'll be helpful. Yeah, definitely. And Christmas is coming up, so like I know our young riders are asking parents for things like wool socks so they're not riding outside in cotton socks in the wintertime. Right. <laughs> remember that last year? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's hilarious. I do you remember that? Oh, cotton is no good in, in the, when it's cold. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was something. And you're working because you sweat and then you're really up a creek. So, um, so yeah, get into our kit store when it opens. It'll be open for a relatively short window, I think like 10 days or so. You make your order, you pay, and it ships right to your house, and it ships about five weeks after the kit store closes. So it's pretty quick turnaround. So um, I was hoping to get it done earlier, but... We'll still get it before winter's over and um, get that stuff. And it, it lasts a long time, too. Um, so you get several seasons of the thermal stuff um, in use uh, pretty easily. All right. All right, let's tackle the meat. Aerobic threshold intervals. Yes, we've talked about this a few times before. Yeah, so we're not going to belabor like what the intervals are themselves. It's more about um, like tips how to, to do them better and things we've learned even over the last few weeks, getting our young riders going. Yeah, absolutely. And this is very applicable to what we're doing with our training programs. Um, With our base builder program, we're into going into week 10 this coming week, and we are into the aerobic threshold block. We wrapped up. So the last block and two podcast episodes ago, we talked about the aerobic strength intervals. So that's like the low intensity, high muscle tension, um, muscular endurance work. And now we're shifting into this new training block, aerobic thresholds. We do this year after year after year. Um, this is nothing new. We podcasted about it before. Um, we even did a a very thorough block of this, um, when COVID hit Mm -hmm. back in like April where we was like, okay, racing's off the table. Let's go do some more aerobic work. So this stuff is like the biggest bang for your fitness buck, hands down. Like this is the training block that will make you a fitter and faster athlete, cyclist, than any other form of training, whether it be high-intensity intervals or riding tons of miles. This trumps both of those being very structured in this aerobic threshold training zone, um, so to speak, which is what we'll talk about. So what is exactly aerobic threshold? Um, It's essentially the highest power one can produce while still utilizing about half of their energy source from fat and half of their energy source from carbohydrate. So it's, it's this threshold. It's not to be confused with lactate threshold or functional threshold power, you know, FTP that that's a higher intensity realm. This is very much a sub maximal sustainable effort and it's more of a metabolic threshold of 
where is your energy coming from to produce the work that you're doing, the power that you're doing? And this is approximately at this 50-50 point. So you can go get this you know, specifically identified in a laboratory with like a metabolic efficiency test where they're collecting gases, you know, your O2, inhaling O2, exhaling CO2. They'll ramp you up and find exactly where this 50-50 point is of when you switch into more carbohydrate burning, more glycogen burning. So, but we, not we, but science has found out that um, this for many, many people falls right around 80% of your max heart rate. Now, again, it's individual. Some people might be a little higher. Some people might be a little lower. But for the sake of keeping things simple and applicable to everyday use, because we are not scientists, we're coaches, and this works well for the masses. Yeah, it's certainly not practical for all cyclists in the world to go to a laboratory and get that test done with a gas mask on their face and get that exact percentage. Right. So 80% will get all of us extremely close to that Mm -hmm. that threshold, that metabolic threshold. 80% of of what? 80% of your maximum heart rate. So you do have to kind of know what your maximum heart rate is. And it's not suggested or advisable to just go 220 minus your age. You need to go actually find your max heart rate. So that means doing a very hard effort that's maybe three, four, five minutes long um, to get it up there. Or look, if you were able to do a race recently, which most of us haven't in currently, um, but in a normal season, you could look at, you know, find what your max heart rate was maybe in some races or our testing protocol. When we do our four minute, you know, max aerobic power test, uh, that will usually get you very close to your max heart rate, if not on it. So that's the number you take the 80% from. Um, there's a, a popular endurance coach, um, Dr. Phil Moffatone, who coached. He's a tr- more of a triathlon coach. I don't know if he coaches anymore, but he was back in the like 90s, 2000s. He coached like Mark Allen when he was doing his Ironman stuff, Mike Pig, um, a bunch of other yeah, sort of the glory days of Ironman. Yeah, and he was a huge proponent of slow aerobic training to make you faster. Um, and he took it to like some pretty extreme levels, but it's hard to argue with the people he produced, like the results that his athletes produced. But kind of laid the groundwork, and he found through his studies and his working with athletes that um, it's called the Moffatone formula or whatever. But it's it's taking a hundred and eighty minus your age will get you right around your aerobic threshold. Okay, so that doesn't find your max heart rate. That, it's kind of confusing because it's not a formula to find max heart rate. It's a formula to get your aerobic threshold. Give me a calculator. Um, which will get you, give or take. And this is, again, this is whenever you're doing these sort of formulas, it's like for the majority right. of people. I just think it's interesting. I just yelled, grab the calculator and give it to me because <laughs> I think it's kind of fun to, to like do it on yourself. Right? Yeah. So 180 minus my age, which is 46, is mm-hmm. 134. Okay. So if I were following that principle, my max, my 80% of my max heart rate would be 134. Okay. And then he has some little like caveats yes. built in. Where yeah, it's say like, that. If you've been injured or sick or anything like that, he would actually tell you to take five or so, five to 10 beats um, off of that to make mm-hmm. you go even slower, basically. Or if you've been training very consistently and steadily and you're pretty injury resistant and, and healthy, you can add up to five 
maybe even 10 beats to that. So it's a kind of this like sliding scale to adjust it. Which I really like that. Um, so let's keep that in mind in my scenario. Okay. That was 134 and I'm a fit individual and I added five. Mm-hmm. That makes it 139. Okay. Um, I think in the last test I did like a month and a half ago, my max heart rate is 175 and 80% of that's 140. That's oh, pretty, pretty darn close. close. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Yeah, so I think it, cool. it does it work. And I've done the math with it too. And it was very close with, with me as well. Um, so that's just another good starting point. So you can kind of go about it either way. Um, but the whole idea here is we're training very much like a, well, this is where it gets a little tricky. So it's very much a moderate to moderately hard effort for fit individuals. And it can be a moderate to almost sort of easy if you're not as aerobically fit or i.e. out of shape, right? So depends where you're coming from. So someone coming off the couch can get to 80% of their max heart rate without doing a whole lot. I mean, they might just be walking briskly down the street and that might be it. Where others can be running, you know, at a running pace or, you know, cycling at decent power. So it's very much dependent on your aerobic fitness as to whether this is actually a easy or moderate mm-hmm. or moderately hard type of effort, which is well, interesting. I, that is what intrigues me about this type of interval work um, and what had us talking with Sophia about it while we were foam rolling and stretching the other night. Right. It's really interesting about, you know, the young riders coming into our program and they're not aerobically fit because they are not supposed to be when they're 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've been teaching them how to do the intervals, it's brought up this topic. So, yeah, I guess we, we'll kind of get more into that in one second. When right, we, right, right. Yeah, so hold on to that thought. But that's why we wanted to do this podcast because it's really quite interesting. Yeah, it is. So just to kind of put more parameters about it, you know, defining the aerobic threshold is kind of equates roughly to your two-hour power. So your lactate threshold or your maximal lactate steady state or your FTP, functional threshold power, all of those sort of correlate right around your one hour power. So this is more aerobic threshold for most people is more related to like say your two hour power. So if you were gonna do a two hour time trial um, and perhaps even greater than that if you're particularly fit, um, it could extend upwards to like a three hour type of max effort. But it's another way to kind of um, think about this and put this in perspective. So using our training methodology where we get our four-minute max aerobic power and our one-minute anaerobic power and figure out the fatigue rate, which is that percentage that you're declining in power as durations increase, Um, you find your fatigue rate. And so you could take one's FTP and come close to subtracting or reducing it by your fatigue rate. So taking, say, 8% off um, would get you down probably close to the, the power levels that you would be at. However, we like to train this energy system by heart rate, not power, because heart rate is reflecting the effort that's being put out. And if you're trying to train these by power, it's quite possible that some days your heart rate will get a little too high, and then maybe even some days you leave a little on the table because it's a little bit lower, especially as you get more custom to this training and get more fit as you go. Um, but it's all just, I'm just explaining all of this hopefully. To yeah, we'll give some like more details and like the yeah. examples in a second. Right. And so the way we train this in our training programs is 
like it, pretty much everything we do, very progressive in terms of building up the amount of time spent in this, um, this you know, threshold, this aerobic threshold or oxidative threshold, fat oxidation threshold. Uh, we'll do intervals starting maybe as low as five minutes and building up to as long as like 40 minutes. I've even done 45 minute long intervals um, over the summer when we were up in Winter Park doing these. Um, so they get quite long. But because they are sub-maximal, it is sustainable. You know, you might have to build up to it, um, but it is doable. And in terms of within a given workout, you know, you might do as little as 30 minutes, but you might gradually build up to as much as two hours worth of these intervals around your two-hour power. Um, so something like, you know, a big culminating workout for me, usually when I'm at the end of this progression is like three times 40 minutes to get the two hours worth of this aerobic threshold work. Well, that's a hearty workout. That's but a for, very For someone else, workout. it might be three by 15 minutes, and that would be Yes, you, you'll probably... Awesome. I mean, we have... Most people start with six times five minutes, and mm -hmm. it's 30 minutes, and then kind of build up from there um, with relatively short rests in between, and it makes for great structure. It's workouts. high quality. High, very high quality. It's very um, TSS dense because it's it's more than like steady zone two mm -hmm. intensity, um, but it's not quite like high intensity like anaerobic threat or like lactate threshold VO two type power, which you can only do limited amounts of. This you can do quite a bit of it and get a lot of TSS in a short amount of time. Yeah, it's awesome. And yesterday, as I started my ride and I was about 15 minutes into it and it was sunny and beautiful. I was just feeling happy. I was outside and I was also feeling really happy that I didn't have to go do VO2 max intervals. I was glad that on my schedule was, was a really high quality workout that wasn't stressing me out. Yes. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, I this is probably my favorite training oh, for block sure. because it, it is such high quality, but it's not overly intense. So you don't have like that dread dreading mm -hmm. feel like vo2s also super high quality and i love them in their own way but they're super hard yeah and you kind of are a little scared of them a little dread them a little bit and you <laughs> yeah. feel great when you nail it and you're done but and they bring a lot of fitness but it's like the top end yeah. where this is more of that like sustainable fitness and you can do these workouts most of the, our training plans we have people do two to maybe three of these per week mm -hmm. but in theory because it is sub max and you can recover from this pretty easily you could do four or five days a week if, if one wanted, you know, especially if you're on like a more low volume plan. That's what I'd probably steer someone towards. Like if you don't have 12 hours a week to go train and get kind of some longer rides in, you know, five one hour workouts. Absolutely. That consists predominantly within that one hour, you're getting maybe 40 of those minutes or at this aerobic threshold you know, that's, you can get pretty fit on a pretty low amount of volume. There. Yeah. And to put it into like easy to understand terms, it's like, why do you do these workouts? Especially if you're not a racer. Well, what if you want to go do a three hour gravel ride with your buddies? You want to like enjoy the time with them outdoors and be chatting and laughing instead of like dying inside. And right. this is the kind of work that'll really get you prepared for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It really trains your body to maximize your fat stores for fuel, minimize your glycogen consumption so you have it when you need it, when when you have to go faster or there's a more challenging segment in the road mm -hmm. or trail. Um, it's a, essentially, it just extends your endurance. So, 
Yeah, I'm entering. This is my 11th year I've seriously trained on the bike. And I'm having some sadness, <laughs> some bittersweet sadness that um, the first five or six years, I think, that I was training with you, I was just, I didn't understand much. You know, I would do what you told me to most of the time. But if I went on a group ride with you and, and your buddies, I, I couldn't keep it aerobic. And so I was just always pushing myself You're too hard. It, and yeah. I didn't want to get lost on a, on a road ride. And yeah, I, so even though you probably told me to ride aerobically, it was going to be impossible unless I wanted to get lost. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I, I left so much on the table there. Like I, I basically cheated myself out of years of building that aerobic system. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much in like the last oh, many years, five, six, seven years, I get it now. And I, will slow down and I will do my aerobic work. Right. And it's finally coming together. You know, my last aerobic threshold test I did, I, I held 181 watts at altitude. I, I'm thrilled with that. Thrilled. Yeah. And I just wonder, like, God, how, how much stronger could I have made my aerobic system already had I patiently, faithfully, diligently did the, the work. Right. And not always pushed my heart rate up. Yeah, and that's a common tendency i think with a lot of riders it's like i'm gonna go ride i love to ride it feels good to push hard because for most people this is very not a super hard effort like this expect depending on train too that's another kind of interesting little side note of this is that if you're riding uphill Mm -hmm. that's going to get your heart rate up more easily right it's not going to require as much like thoughtful effort so if you're riding uphill, often you have to really slow yourself down. Whereas if you're riding out, uh, I'm sorry, if you're riding on flats or like more rolling terrain, as you become more fit, you're going to have to actually like push yourself and be working fairly hard to keep your heart rate at 80% of max. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's one way that's interesting. I'm kind of going down a little side hill. There, no, I, it's an interesting point too, because I heard you talking on the phone to one of our young riders or mm-hmm. you, know, you were emailing him, I think, Ethan, about um, trying some flatter rides for these workouts. And I thought to myself, oh, God, I, I always pick hills for this workout. Maybe I should try a flatter or more rolling terrain, but I'm kind of nervous. Yeah, it's quite different for sure Yeah, um, because of just what I said. You know, going uphill, your heart rate, it's easy to get easier to get mm-hmm. your heart rate up in the zone. So you have to actually sl- – and the steeper the hill, the more you have to, like, slow yourself down. So there is, like, a limit, and it does pertain – like if you're not particularly aerobically fit, you probably can't or even shouldn't do these on a hill because your heart rate will just get too high. Back when we were doing triathlon, we trained very similarly running, and there were many times when you know any kind of incline running jacks yeah, your heart we were rate. Walking up. Then. Yeah, and we would tell people uh-huh. you need to then walk up this hill so you stay within those heart rate limits, and then and then it was sort of like well. Maybe you should just avoid the hills, stick to flatter terrain. And mm-hmm. the same goes for cycling, although there's like a wider range. You know, you can go easier up a hill if, if you have gears and whatnot. But at any, any rate, it's like cho- based on your fitness, choose your routes appropriately as well. So the fitter you become, the more hills because the more power now you can produce and stay aerobic and um, you're getting more fit. And that's, you know, a good sign of progress as well as the you know, the hills that you once had to really slow down, now you can kind of charge up them. And, you know, basically what's happening is you went from doing 200 watts aerobic and now you can do 250 watts aerobic. You can go harder and be aerobic. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and I, I've seen, I feel like in the last few years, like it's all come together. Like all, all the rides I've done into the aerobic bank have finally, you know, like the blossomed and come to like fruition. And I'm, I'm seeing pretty good gains in my aerobic fitness, but I just wish that those first five years I would have slowed down and, and done the appropriate work. So if you're listening out there, like just do the work. Don't cheat yourself. I mean, no one's there slapping your hand or your feet if you're riding too hard for these intervals, but you're cheating yourself out of improving your aerobic system. Oh, absolutely. And it takes a long time. That's what people have to understand yes. too. Like it we takes have to keep telling the young riders that. years and it's not one training block. It's not even one or two training seasons. No, it's, it's like, like years, years of, of sticking to this and you don't have to do it year round nonstop, but you do, you do want to do focused blocks of it. Yeah. And that's what base training essentially is. And you want to do, you know, again in the summer after, you know, to get another little dose of it. And you need, you need years and years of this dosing up and it, it will eventually kind of catch up to you. I yeah, mean, we hear some of our young athletes or, or even adult athletes that have been training with us for a few years and they're like, I haven't seen that much improvement. It's like, just be patient, stick with yeah, it. Yeah, don't lose it. heart, stick with it. Yeah, and then it eventually comes and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, there there it is. And, and you start to see that progress. But if you're just riding too hard, too often, you're just relying on carbohydrates for, for fuel and you're just limiting yourself in terms of what you can do um, in terms of improving your, your overall power. So let's dig into that idea a little bit more about the percentage of one's FTP that mm-hmm. they'll be able to hold at an, at an aerobic heart rate yeah. depending on their aerobic fitness. Okay. Because this is how that conversation came up with Sophia, our daughter. Yeah. She's 17. She's been riding pretty seriously for, I think, three years. She is seeing gains in her aerobic fitness, but they're slow. And she, we've heard her kind of whining about that a little bit. Like, <laughs> ah, when's it going to – it's going to happen, sis, you know. Um, she – she's um, – she's my favorite training partner and she pushes me on some intervals. I push her on some intervals. The aerobic intervals are the only ones I can, you know, beat her at. Mm-hmm. It's only because I'm older and I've done this longer. Um, she has a higher FTP than I do. And so if we were going to do like an hour race, I think she'd crush me. I really wouldn't even want to see it, but I can hold a higher percentage of my FTP for these, aerobic threshold block intervals so therefore i'm actually producing significantly more power during the intervals than she is and the, you know if we were doing them together i'd be farther up the road than she is right so yeah that's really fascinating to me yeah because it's related directly to the individual's aerobic fitness for sure and you know ftp is a tricky thing um i mean it's kind of arbitrary you mm-hmm. know the, the where it sort of came from was this idea of, well, it started actually way back with measuring blood lactate um, and identifying heart rates that were sustainable at the, 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 like your lactate threshold. And so then when power came around, they just determined like, let's have a power that use the same sort of concept. You know, what, where's your lactate threshold? What's the power that relates to that? There's the functional threshold power. For most people, it's around about an hour, you know, what your max hour power is. And everything just sort of became like a percentage of Mm, that, mm -hmm. much like they used to do that with heart rate. It was like, what's your lactate threshold heart rate? And we'll train based off of percentages of that. Well, I mean, it's better than nothing, but it's not quite like the whole story because different riders 
get their power from different energy systems, whether it be the oxidative aerobic system, the glycolytic, you know, higher and high intensity carbohydrate system. And then there's the anaerobic system on top of that. So, you know, someone can have, be more of that diesel engine athlete that can maybe does, you know, you can have two riders, they have the same FTP. Right. And the one that is more aerobically fit can hold a higher percentage of that FTP for longer periods of time. Someone who's not a, as aerobically fit, but maybe more anaerobically fit or more of the top end power can't hold that percentage of FTP for those longer durations at, at the aerobic end, but they can go super hard for two, three, four minutes. So that's like, there's just more to it than yeah, FTP. It, there is more to it. And now that I have Sophia as my training partner and we are um, different with our aerobic fitness and different, we're very similar in our FTPs, but she's a little bit um, higher up. I can see the concept like right in front of me, like playing out. And so right. it it's the first time that it really becomes as clear as it's ever been. Like, oh, okay. Basically, well, really, she could beat me in an hour race just based on like what I know about her right. raw power and her tested FTP. But my percentage of, um, I'm holding about 87 to 90% of, of my FTP for these aerobic intervals. And she's holding more like... 80% is that what we determine or even a little bit lower. Yeah, right. And so there. therefore she's behind me on the road. Right. You know, a few more years, if she sticks with being patient with this training, she'll be ahead of me. But in the meantime, she's developing that aerobic system. And if she stays patient with it, it'll get there. Right. And that's why we want to train aerobic threshold by heart rate mm -hmm. rather than power. Because if you go off of a, the percentage of FTP, it's going to be different for everyone. So using your examples exactly, it's like Sophia's at 80% of her FTP and you're at, what did we say, 90? Basically 90. 90% of your FTP. And I'll throw my numbers in there. I did mine the other day and I was at 93% of my FTP. So, you know, there's this massive range. So that's why we want to train more by heart rate. And that way we know we're training the aerobic system and not overdoing it or underdoing it mm -hmm. so you know it's just a better way to to do it <laughs> it's a better way to do it um w would you spend a minute here helping people know how to do a workout like this on the trainer um with erg mode versus level mode or slope mode yeah because we get this question a ton. all the time yeah people love erg mode the smart trainers are amazing invention um a great device to make indoor training more palatable um However, their erg mode is not ideal in many situations um, because what you're doing is you're working purely off of a percentage of a FTP. Now, when you're working kind of the higher end intensities, that sometimes can be beneficial and, and useful. When you're training usually the submax, you know, lower end of things, it's not as helpful and it's actually de detrimental in many cases. So... Um, you need to just basically turn that off. You need to let go of erg mode for aerobic <laughs> training um, because, you know, I mean, I wrote, I wrote our workouts with like a range of 80 to 90% of FTP to be in line roughly with most people's aerobic thresholds. So if you're not as aerobically fit, it might be closer to 80%. If you're more aerobically fit, it might be closer to 90. But if you're in erg mode, it's going to plop you in right at 85%. 
the middle of that range and kind of force you to be in that. Well, if you're more aerobically fit, let's say I was doing it and I, I could actually do 93%, I'd be leaving a little bit on the table and maybe I could make a few more gains. Or if you're less aerobically fit or like some of our younger junior athletes, they're, they need to be more around 75% because they're not as aerobically fit. So they're going to be working too hard and their heart rates, they're not going to be able to keep it under 80%. So our, what we always say is just turn off erg mode, mm-hmm. go in the slope mode and do it from there and yeah, let go of erg mode basically. <laughs> now I, I think I, I don't use erg mode, I don't use Zwift, but I think you can, if you're on Zwift, like tap down FTP, so if your heart rate's getting too high and you have to be in erg mode, you can like adjust it down. I don't know like app to app, device to device how to do that or how to tell you to do that, but I would just say don't do erg mode and train by heart rate. Well, the bottom line with these workouts is that you cannot get fixated on your power. Correct. You you look at it with curiosity, but not with judgment, or it's going to just throw you into a, maybe a little emotional tizzy, which is going to mess up your workout. So, yeah. you know, on, yesterday when I went out to do the workout, um, I had an expectation that my watts were going to be at a certain level like they were on Tuesday, and they weren't. They were actually about five watts lower across the board, and I don't know why. Maybe I was just a little tired from the other workouts this week, the yeah. strength workouts, but... Regardless, I sensed in myself a little bit of like disappointment and frustration, and then I would tense up on my bike. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen when I would tense up? Like, heart rate goes up. My heart rate goes up. Yeah. So I would remind myself to just relax my neck, relax my shoulders, relax my grip on the handlebars, and for God's sakes, don't worry about the power. Like it is what it is, and I'm still going to get a great workout. And, and the more I fret about my watts being a few points lower the worst it was gonna be so yeah just don't fixate on a power our bodies are funny things like some days it's just gonna be a little bit lower yeah and people will sometimes criticize heart rate training because of the fact that heart rate is so fickle fickle and influential but it's telling you something it's, though. exactly it's that is one of the beauties to train by heart rate is that it's your heart rate is basically telling you the effect that what you're doing is having on your body. Yeah. And so if your heart rate is higher because you're dehydrated, well, then you probably shouldn't be trying to train so hard right. and you need to slow down or you didn't sleep as well or you've changed altitudes or, you know, the temperatures, you know, all these things that people can sometimes criticize heart rate training by. But it's actually quite important, especially in these sub max, lower intensity aerobic zones that we're we're training and yeah you just you need to go by that so when you do these intervals and you have power go by heart rate and after a number of sessions you'll start to recognize okay my 80 percent of max heart rate it usually gets me around these many watts and that's actually also why we do the 20 minute aerobic threshold test and our testing is that will give you right off the top an idea of what power you can do for 20 minutes at this 80% of max heart rate. That number is not useful for anything else other than a benchmark to compare to, test to test, but then it also gives you a, at least an idea of what your 80% of max heart mm-hmm. rate power probably is, you know, is at the moment. So when you go do your training sessions, have an idea of like, I should be around, you know, whatever it is, 250 watts. 
at 80% of max heart rate. And on a given day, if it's a little bit lower or it's a little bit higher, just take note of it and watch what it does, but pay attention to the heart rate and make sure you stay in the aerobic heart rate zone of what you're trying to be. And that's 75 to 80% to be a little bit more clear. So 80% is the, the threshold, the max. You don't want to exceed that. But training is down to 75%. And it's for most people around a 10 beat range um, is the zone, if you want to call it that. Um, so for me, it's I go from 139 to 149 beats per minute is my zone that I try to be in. And of course, if I'm trying to do as much power as possible, it's I'm usually close to that 148, 149 for a good chunk of it. But what's also interesting is, is you start to know what the power is supposed to be. It helps you pace these intervals better. Oh too. yeah, I wanted to talk about pacing. So when you start the interval, you don't want. So for example, <laughs> I'm just gonna use my numbers because I I have them. I know what I'm talking about. So mine the other day, 280 watts was what I was doing for the intervals. If I were to, you want to pace yourself accordingly. So I want to start these intervals like no more than 300 watts because right. you always start a little ahead. You're not gonna sprint because you've rested and yeah. <laughs> So I don't want to go out of the gate and be at 350, 360 watts to get my heart rate up and then have to like slow down. I actually want to do the opposite. I actually want to start as close to 280 watts as I can make myself do. It's always a little bit more, but um, and have my heart rate climb gradually because it gives me like a longer range of when I have to sort of like think about basically slowing down a little bit. Yeah. And as these intervals get longer this becomes more important to not like overshoot the beginning, pace yourself. So now you have this power target in mind. Now, if I'm thinking like the workout I did the other day, six times 10 minutes at 280 watts, I did every interval averaging either 280 or 281. I like nailed it perfectly. And some of that was with fueling and that's a different topic we'll maybe talk about later. But, um, I know if I do this again next week and I'm at that same correct heart rate zone and maybe my power happens to then be 275, it's okay. Like, Yeah, that's not enough to make yeah, you be alarmed. Right, or even 270. But the idea is I'm still getting the aerobic cardiovascular benefits. My heart and my cardiovascular system is training at this right. metabolic threshold. Um, burning the proper fuel sources and training my aerobic system. Would there ever be a time that you would stop one of these workouts if you saw the watts drop dramatically? Yes. So if you... What would that have to look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say if you start dropping 10% or more in power on the intervals, basically what's happening is you're probably running out of fuel. Like you didn't fuel yourself. Because these are not, again, like super hard efforts um so you really need to evaluate that but it could also possibly be that you're compromised somewhere else like like maybe you've got terrible sleep or maybe you're catching a cold and don't realize it yet or you're like way overloaded and stress or something you know a lot of those things are usually obvious but not always um but i would say yeah if your power drops more than like 10 percent and you're sticking to the same say 145 beats per minute and yeah. a couple intervals in, it's like plummeting. <laughs> There's a problem. And, yeah, so and then you, you should probably stop. stop. Yeah. And like I said, nine out of ten times, it's because you didn't fuel yourself. Do you think people 
don't think they need to eat food with low intensity workouts sometimes? It's possible. There's a lot of yeah, I hear people say that boxes. like they they might throw some gels in their pocket for like a VO two max interval workout, but they're thinking oh, I'm not gonna go that hard. Yeah, and I just ate a breakfast. I don't need to take food with me. It's confusing too because we're also trying to like maximize our fat burning, and mm-hmm. you hear people say like we have unlimited fat stores. You know, we could go for days on fat alone, but you have to remember that this is we're at this threshold of like fifty percent of our energy is coming from stored fats 50% is coming from carbohydrates the carbohydrates are in our bloodstream is what we use first and foremost and as soon as those start to dip then we dip into our glycogen stores and but those are harder to get they're to. a little harder to yeah. get to but still can get to them but if you can supplement with carbohydrates meaning consume carbohydrates while you're training you keep the sugars in your blood up and your energies just keeps on going and you can keep using that fat for fuel more easily because as soon as your blood sugars drop and you start digging into your glycogen stores your body's going to shift away from the fat burning and into the carbohydrate burning so you have to it's a little counterintuitive you have to keep trickling in the carbs yeah to keep your blood sugar up so your body can then burn the fat for fuel that's intermixed in your muscles and whatnot but as soon as your blood sugar drops, you'll dig into your glycogen. And once your glycogen starts burning, your body prefers glycogen because it's much easier to get to and access and it, you know gets into your bloodstream more quickly than the fat. And then, But it turns that on and then your body kind of shifts less fat, more glycogen. And then, you know, then you're, then it's a tricky point. Then you got to like really keep up with things. So yeah. You have to keep that tr- like slow trickle. It's like if you could have an IV of sugar, <laughs> of glucose just trickling in the whole time, that would be ideal. But obviously, that doesn't work. That's a weird thought. But that's why we, that's why they invented gels and you know all the sports nutrition. But you can also do it with real food too. Right. So for example, not to belabor the point, and I feel like I'm talking a lot, but on my workout the other day, because it's fresh in my mind. Six times 10 minutes, 280 watts. At the end of each 10 minutes, I popped in um, a little fig bar, which is about 100 calories, at the end of each interval. Was at I the hungry? End of each interval at you the did? end of each oh, interval. Wow. Was I hungry? Absolutely not. Did I feel like I needed it? No. But it kept the blood sugar up. They're pretty, wow. they're mostly carbohydrates. There's a little fat and protein in there, but not much. I think it gets into your bloodstream pretty easily. I prefer those over gels this time of year because I'll get plenty of gels later in season racing and things and my dentist long time ago told me like gels and Mm -hmm. sugars in your bottle are horrible for your teeth so it's always (laughs) stuck in my mind um so i'll try to eat more whole foods but these get metabolized i think pretty quickly so yeah every essentially every because it was 10 minutes up five minutes down six times so every 15 minutes or so is that right i was popping in 100 calories of mostly carbohydrates and my power stayed exactly level. I never got hungry. Um, and because that's a common problem people run into just in training in general is they'll bring some food and it's like, well, when I'm hungry, I'll eat my Cliff Bar or whatever. No, you got to eat way, well before you're hungry um, to keep your blood sugar up. Because mm-hmm. when you get hungry, it's when your blood sugar is dropping and then you're digging in your glycogen stores and now you're really no longer burning much fat. But if you keep your blood sugar up, then your body can access the fat. Somebody once told me it was like 
you burn fat in a carbohydrate flame, I think is uh, what Yeah, it is. you've said that before. Yeah. That's a good one. So the carbohydrate flame is your blood sugar. It's like the little pilot light that's burning, allowing you to burn the fat. But if your pilot light goes out and your blood sugar drops, it's going to turn to glycogen and draw solely on that until that runs out. So. I used to not eat very much on training rides at all. Again, this was like the beginning. I was an idiot, didn't know what I was doing. But I, I feel, like, feel like I'm doing a better job. But I'm listening to you wondering, I might want to stick another fig bar in my pocket. But here's what I did yesterday. Tell me what you yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Um, about 15, 20 minutes before I got on my bike, I drank my giant fruit smoothie, smoothie that I drink. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a lot of calories. Yeah. So I felt pretty darn filled to the brim. Maybe it was about half an hour before. Got on my bike, rode over to the, the gas station at the bottom of Highway 40. Ate a, ate a gel. I know you don't take gels this time of year, but honestly, I love the watermelon SIS gels. And it was like... <laughs> it's like an otter pop. <laughs> it was like a... Well, for some reason, they taste like cotton candy to me. I love cotton candy. And so it was like a little treat. Like, oh, I get to have this little gel. So I <laughs> ate that. And and then I did six by seven minutes, which is okay. a little bit random. I sort of mixed some ideas there. Yeah. And I ate one... Of like a half of a fig bar, so 100 calories after the third one. Okay. So that was like 30 more minutes in. So okay. And then I ate the other one when I was done before and, I had to ride 30 minutes home. And didn't you say your power slowly like trickled off? I think you did. No, it it actually no that was Tuesday. Oh. Um, but it it. You're, you're right. It had been at 178, and the last two were 174. It wasn't that much lower. Yeah, that's but, not too drastic. But. but I just wonder, maybe I'll take an extra fig bar. I think maybe pop I'll pop a few more in and see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, when we're training, you shouldn't be thinking about dieting. I mean, oh, I wasn't. I just, no, I know. I'm just saying in general. I, just, I, I think, um, yeah, I think I'll just throw a few more. It's not the bar. time to skimp on calories. I know you weren't cognitively trying to skimp, but it's like, you almost have to like force feed yourself yeah. if you want the performance, if you want your power to stay up, if you want to be able to ride for mul- you know multiple hours if you're doing a longer ride. Um, it's critical. I mean, even in like 90-minute cross-country mountain bike races, I will have a gel every 15 to 20 minutes. Not because I can't make it to the finish line before I'm hungry or even my glycogen's depleted, but it's because I want to keep my blood sugar up. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the whole whole thing and when you're exercising your insulin response is blunted so you don't have to worry about that so off the bike it's a different story um but on the bike you can you got to keep your blood sugar high um so you keep metabolizing more fat sparing glycogen because like i just said once you start digging into glycogen performance starts to go down well i did my performance didn't go down it went a few watts down Mm -hmm. and i wasn't hungry before i got home so I, I think I did an okay job, but I'm glad we talked about this in front of everybody. I'm just going to throw an extra bar of gel in my pocket. I, I've always told people that, like, don't, it's like, you know how you don't, you're not supposed to go to the grocery store hungry, because that way you won't buy too much? Yeah. It's usually I've eaten right before you get on your bike, so you're thinking I'm not hungry, and you may forget to put a, it, yeah, an extra bar of gel in your pocket. Happens. So it's like that same kind of concept in a reverse way, and you just need to put a couple extra things in your pocket. Yeah. And another thing along similar lines is like if you go out training and you're the type of person that like has a great ride, whether it's training or just a ride, whatever, and you come home and you're like, oh, I'm starving. I can't wait to just devour <laughs> some food. 
you didn't fuel properly. Like yeah. you should come home and actually not be hungry if you fuel properly. Maybe have a little 200 calorie recovery shake and then go do your shower. And then you're just waiting for your next meal because you didn't dig a huge hole mm-hmm. that you now have to refill. And in digging that hole, well, intuitively a lot of people think, well, then I'm creating maybe a net calorie deficit if I'm trying to lose weight or whatever. But you're actually just, you usually, when you come home from those rides and you're starving, you overeat. And then and you might grab those potato chips anyway. And you eat crappy food, right? right. So there's a whole, that's a whole nother Yeah, it's thing. a whole nother topic. Yeah, like so, you're panicking and so you don't take the time to prepare a healthy meal. You start shoving shit right. in your mouth. So keep fueling mostly carbohydrates while you're riding and you'll keep your blood sugar up. You'll perform better on the ride. You'll finish the ride, have less to really recover from because mm-hmm. a big part of the recovery process is refilling the glycogen stores. Right, right. But if you're con- if you're eating enough during, you'll still dip into some of your glycogen, but not as much, and it'll refill super easily, and you'll be ready for the next workout. Where if you those rides where you come home and you're super starved, it's because you probably basically depleted your glycogen, and in in the process blunted your fat burning capabilities, so you didn't actually get to burn a lot of fat, and it creates this whole thing. Now, you, and then you probably overeat and now you've got too much food in your stomach <laughs> that screws up your hormones and you're packing that away as fat. So it's like this whole cycle. For God's sake. <laughs> it's so fascinating. It I is love. really fascinating. And actually we had no intention of talking about this on the podcast, True. but um, I think it was in our minds because this morning you had some thoughts about fueling during workouts and you posted it to like our training group mm-hmm. with some like tips and some fun challenges about that. And it got a whole conversation going like right. Kia and Crystal, Crystal and Erica were all putting some thoughts in there and it was actually pretty cool. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, well, maybe we'll have another episode where we talk more about this. Well, I'm sure we will because it's, <laughs> it's really, really important eating yeah. on the bike and eating throughout the day. Right. Um, but let's go back to our topic. We have a few more points just okay. to touch on. Number one is, that your heart rate will decline as you age. Yes. And so don't get stuck on a certain number in your head. I realized I was doing that. Like 145 was in my in my mind like mm-hmm. as my aerobic threshold power or heart rate. Mm-hmm. And just a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, why am I stuck on 145? Is that really still my aerobic threshold heart rate? And yeah. I had to like do the math and think it through a little bit. And I'm like, no, it's actually probably 140 now. Sometimes I let it get to 142. So yeah, right. Am I right here? Like reevaluate it. Look at re-evaluate. the look so, at the data. Yeah, your testing or data from races, things like that. So get your most accurate, recent, up to date max mm-hmm. heart rate. Take 80. percent That'll kind of keep you in there. Um, so it does. Your heart rate does decline with age. You can sort of delay that or minimize that by making sure you do high intensity training throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so those listening that race and train with intervals, you're probably doing just fine. But if you were to like stop training for a couple of years or something, it'll decline much more. Oh, that's interesting. Rapidly. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like you're you're maintaining it a little bit. So yeah. because as we get older, we lose muscle mass. That's the main contributor. We lose ability to do any kind of powerful work. So our VO2 max goes down, our max heart rate declines, um, and all of those sorts. And sadly, we gain fat and stuff. That's <laughs> another topic of getting older. But if you can maintain by lifting heavy weights throughout the year periodically, doing some high-intensity interval training um, throughout the year periodically, and you can really slow down that decrease. So mine hasn't decreased a whole lot. But another little side note was interesting too 
is within a given year, like a 12-month period, I see my highest max heart rate almost always kind of in October when we do our first test coming off of like our end of season break, you know, a little bit of easy training, like when I'm the most quote unquote out of shape. Um, Because when you're really rested, you can get your heart rate up super high. And that has to do with your um, autonomic nervous system and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then as you train throughout the season, you become more fit as you become more fit, your max heart rate also comes down a tiny bit. So it's not to be confused with getting older as well. But as you get older, it does come down gradually. But if you're always testing you'll know what every that few is. months yeah. at least, yeah, you should have an idea. Or you do a really hard race or a really hard interval session yeah. where you get um, up there. You know, you can get an idea of where your max heart rate is. Yeah, good, good thoughts there. Um, I'm actually curious to see if my max heart rate goes up again when if we get to race next year because I think that's actually part of it too. I, you haven't I haven't really raced years. in two years, yeah. and that yeah, I just have a feeling that might be part of it. Right. So I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, we also wanted to touch briefly on the effect that cadence would have on your heart rate when trying to keep your heart rate under eighty percent of your max. Yes, because cadence. The higher the cadence in general, the more oxygen demand there is therefore higher heart rates um there's a whole slew of scientific research around what's like the optimal cadence for cycling and everything um you know i'd say that it boils down to kind of a range and then there's some personal preferences i suppose in that as well Um, but in general yeah i mean a little lower cadence usually will keep your heart rate a little lower but you just don't want to go to like the extreme end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you're like, you tend to have a little higher cadence naturally. So you, you like to settle in a little higher cadence. It's just kind of what you're used to. Yeah. But if you're really trying to maximize the Watts being on the lower end, maybe like 80 RPM instead of a hundred, you'll usually see more Watts. I think it's interesting to experiment with it while yeah. you're doing these intervals. It is. It's a good time to do that. Yeah. And so I was kind of messing around yesterday with it. And maybe yesterday wasn't the best time since my watts were just a little bit lower in general. But um, normally on these intervals, I'll be around oh, 88 to 95 RPM. And I just was testing out how it felt at 80 RPMs, at 78 to 82. And I didn't like it. Like it when it gets that low for me, I actually become uncomfortable and then that makes me tense and feel stressed. And then I think it just sabotages my watt output. Yeah. So yeah, just keep kind of experimenting with it. I mean, when you're outside, unless you're on this perfect grade, you're going to undulate and yeah. you're, you're, you're changing your gears and you're, you're, I, I see my watts go from 78 up to 95 and I'm, or cadence, you mean? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm clicking around trying to kind of hit my optimal comfortable spot but i was just kind of experimenting yesterday and and seeing what i thought yeah yeah it's definitely interesting but in in theory or in general lower cadences put more of a muscular demand Mm -hmm. higher cadence more of an aerobic demand oxygen consumption demand um and you can just kind of find what works well for you um yeah it's an interesting topic i read that phrase old man speed has been on my mind this week as we prepared for this podcast. 
And you have a couple buddies that we've ridden with that are older, and I can't keep up with them. They have old man speed. Well, they're older, meaning they've been cycling a very long time. Right. Yeah. It's not just an old man. But ever, I think a lot of people have, <laughs> old have heard that that phrase, old man speed. Yeah. You know, the boys in the teams kind of tease you a little bit about that when yeah. you're not old at all, but to them you are. Right. And what does it really mean? It means you have a very developed aerobic system. Right. So it's you can cool. pedal high percentages of your FTP or whatever you want to call it. And um, your endurance is better. And yeah, that makes you. You whoop those young faster. boogers. Now, in a sprint, they can all beat me in a sprint. But. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, did you have any other thoughts about the topic? Um, I don't think so, other than just like those of you giving this a shot here, like on one of our various training plans and whatnot. Like, just stick with it and trust mm-hmm. the process because at times it's going to feel like possibly that you're not doing much. But it does gradually, as you become more aerobically fit, you get more of that aerobic infrastructure, more blood vessels, you know, mitochondria, all that good stuff that's happening inside at the cellular level. You will gradually do more power. You'll have mm-hmm. to work harder to get your heart rate to that 80% of max. And it, it seemingly doesn't necessarily end because like I've been doing this for many many years I mean arguably I've been bike racing for over 20 years at a very high level and I'm still getting better and some of that's because I think I've put extra emphasis on this aerobic threshold standpoint and you know I'll read a lot of things about like masters cycling training and things on books and online and a lot of times they say that you know if you've been doing this a long time your aerobic system's like developed you don't have to focus that much time on it. Mm. You know, it's better to focus on like the weightlifting and the like oh, high intensity yeah, I intervals. Yeah, agree because I see the same with myself. Well, because that's what you lose as you get older. So in a way, it kind of makes sense okay. and it is important. But at the same time, like why would you want to give up or lose any of your like hard-earned gains that's now becoming like your secret weapon, I guess, or, or what you can rely on. That would be better. It's what you can fall back on, rely on in in competition that you know i can ride for hours at 90 percent of my ftp and you know i can go up punch above that for a cross-country race many times and not run out of glycogen and do reasonably well you know um where the younger guys can come in and punch well above that repeatedly and and beat me in the high intensity end of things um you know it just yeah I don't know where I was going with that other than just like sticking with the process and, and, and the gains will come. Yeah. And the message I would just tack onto that is what you were starting with is just be patient. Yes. Like, that's, thank you. <laughs> forgot where I was going. Well, well, I hear, I heard two things in what you said that you're really awesome and you are, <laughs> you really are and be patient. And on that note, we're going to say goodbye. Yes. And I'm going to go play pickleball. Oh, okay. Don't hurt yourself. (laughs) Shut up. All right. Talk to you next week. Everything we discuss on the Weight Endurance Podcast, we integrate into our annual Base Builder training program and downloadable training plans. Our Base Builder program is an annual online virtual group training program with us as your coaches, allowing you to build your best cycling-based fitness possible prepare you for your next writing season. 
We also offer downloadable training plans for base building, cycling specific strength training, and specialized race preparation for road, gravel, mountain bike racing, and everything in between. Consider our training plan subscription service, where you gain access to all of our training plans for as little as $20 per month. This allows you to easily switch between plans to create your most complete annual training progression. Regardless of the type of cyclist you are, by becoming a part of the weight endurance training community, you're allowing us to help you become a fitter and faster cyclist.